I hope that you will join me with an open Bible as we look together at 2 Samuel chapter 6, focusing on verses 16 to 23. But I want to highlight the first half of verse 14, because what we have here is a worship service unlike any other, and it gets crazy, and by our lights, shocking. We read in verse 14, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. David, the king of Israel, is dancing in his t-shirt. Yes, a worship service unlike any other. What is happening here? We need to pinpoint exactly why this is so shocking to us. One reason is that David shatters our gender stereotypes, and he provides us with a fascinating case study of what it means to be a man after God's own heart. Because David is a man who was strong enough to fend off bears and lions from his sheep while also playing the harp beautifully. He was a man who wasn't afraid to slay a giant, but as we see here, could dance to the glory of God. A fascinating case study of what it means to be a man, as defined by the Bible, and God shatters our stereotypes with David. But there's another reason that he is so shocking. That is that we typically do not associate this kind of exuberant, unrestrained happiness with religion or with church. We typically think of religion as something that at least tames or maybe suppresses our desire for happiness or for joy. And this is true whether you go to church regularly or whether you don't. If you go to church, you think that church is a place where you come and you sit quietly and you follow a regimented schedule, you listen to somebody else talk, you stand up when they say to stand up, you pray when they say to pray, you sing when they say to sing, and then the really fun part of church happens in the fellowship hall or in the hallway or the parking lot, right? What happens in the sanctuary is not the fun part, it's something we have to get through. And if you don't go to church, then you think of it as probably the lamest form of entertainment there could be, and you have far better things to do with your weekend than to go sit in a church. Joy and worship, happiness, and religion just don't go together in our minds. And that's because we are subjected to and we buy into this ideology that I'm going to call wet blanket religion that stems from a wet blanket view of God, where we think God wants to suppress our desire for joy. But the way God reveals himself in the Bible is completely different. From the very beginning of the Bible, with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we see that this is a God who creates people with a desire, with a capacity for happiness and for joy, and who wants his people, his creation, to find the satisfaction and the contentment that we long for and we crave in him. And you see how God is fulfilling this desire through Adam and Eve. Adam is lonely. God says it's not good for him to be alone. So he gives Eve 
to Adam, and he gives Adam to Eve, both for companionship and for sexual intimacy. And he tells them, you can enjoy, you can eat anything in this garden, inside of the guardrails that I've established. But how different is our view of God? We think of God as giving rules and as God suppressing what we would want, especially suppressing our desire for sexual intimacy. But this God says, you can enjoy the life and the goodness of creation. Sex is my idea inside of the guardrails that I've established. That sexual intimacy is to be enjoyed inside of a covenant relationship between one man and one woman for life. And it is good and it is holy. This is not a wet blanket God. And he does not want his people to be wet blankets. And he does not want his worship to be a wet blanket for anyone. So what went wrong? Well, the lie of the enemy that tempted Adam and Eve leads us to believe and to think maybe God doesn't have our best interests at heart. Maybe God is holding something back from us. Maybe we can enjoy creation apart from our creator. And so we give in to that and we try to satisfy this God-given desire and longing with everything but God. And as a result, our desires and our human nature is curved in on itself. So if you don't hear me say anything else today, I want you to hear this. God doesn't want to suppress your desire for joy. He wants to stoke it. To stoke it by teaching you how to dance in His grace. He wants us to delight so much in Him that we're led to dance as David did. Is that your view of God? Is that your view of religion and spirituality and the church? I pray that God, through this service, would lead us to see him as he really is, as a God who gives joy and happiness to his people. Let's see how that played out in David's life and see how God stokes our desire for joy and enlivens and inflames our desire for joy in him as we read together verses 14 to 15. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and with the sound of trumpets. The first thing we need to see here is that God can fill your heart with a new song. He can fill your heart with a new song. And it's a song of forgiveness, a melody of mercy. And we see this in David because in order to understand why David is dancing around in his t-shirt, we need to know he's not crazy, he hasn't lost his mind. He's not become a Pentecostal or a charismatic. 
He's received God's forgiveness. You'll recall what happened just prior to this. This is actually David's second attempt to restore true worship to God's people. The first time, they tried to worship God by ignoring God's explicit instructions on how the Ark of the Covenant was to be handled. They thought it probably didn't make any difference whether or not they obeyed God's command to carry the Ark. They decided that it would be more worthy and more fitting for God's Ark of the Covenant, this golden box that symbolized God's throne and God's presence and his desire to dwell with his people. They thought it made more sense for it to be dignified and put on a cart pulled by oxen. And everybody's having a great time. Israel is assembling. All kinds of instruments are being played. It's a joyous occasion until that cart hits a pothole. And one of the individuals guiding it, named Uzzah, reaches out to keep the ark of God from falling over, and he is struck dead by God. And when that happens, we're told in verse 8 that David was angry. He's angry. And then he becomes fearful. And he decides, I don't want anything to do with this God. Who can have this God? Who can have the presence of the Lord with him? And so he sends it away to a man named Obed-Edom, a Philistine. And as it turns out, God blesses the household of Obed-Edom. David hears about that and realizes God can be with his people when we obey his word, we worship him in the way he wants to be worshiped. And so now they are rejoicing, and we see in verse 13 that they carry the ark of the Lord. They worship God in spirit with feeling, and in truth, as God has chosen and specified to be worshipped. And so David has experienced the mercy of God. And he puts those experiences into words in Psalm 30. Where he says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night but rejoicing comes in the morning. And then in verse 11, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth, this repentance, this confession of sin, and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. And here's what that means for your life today. Your failures, your sin, your disappointments, and your hurts do not have to have the last note or the last word in your life because God is so kind and so generous with his mercy for sinners. And so if we are to have God stoke 
our desire for joy by learning how to dance in his grace, we need to know the song. And the song is one of mercy and forgiveness. And it is only if you understand the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God and his unmerited favor for sinners that you can understand what David is doing here. If you just read this, you would think, well, he's lost his mind. This is insane. This is crazy. And many church people would think that too. What is happening? This isn't how you worship God. We don't dance in church. Come on, put some formal clothes on. You can't approach God in a t-shirt. If you hear the melody of mercy, you come and your heart cannot help but jump at the beat of the gospel. Because we know on the other side of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that God has extended his mercy to sinners. And the reason he can do that is because Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for mine, and he has made it possible for us to approach God and to dance before God to his glory. We approach God in worship because God has acted for sinners. In David's case, it was showing his blessing on this household. For us, it's what God has done through Jesus. And sensing the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, leading us to jump for joy at what God has done, this holy and righteous God, what he has done for sinners like us. But not everyone is pleased by David's behavior, as we read in verse 16. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. While the rest of the people are joining in this joyful procession behind this king who is dancing in his t-shirt, Michal, who's the daughter of Saul and also the wife of David, one of his wives, is observing from a window. She looks down and she despised him in her heart. She looks down upon him in this behavior. She thinks this is beneath the dignity of a king. He's making a fool of himself before the people. And what you need to know, if, if God is to stoke your desire for joy by teaching you how to dance in his grace, you need to know the volume level of the music. The music is the melody of mercy, but the volume level is when God drowns out your self-consciousness with increasing God-consciousness, where you focus less on other people and less on yourself than you do on God. And the paradox is that the less you focus on yourself and the more you focus on God, the more joy and the more contentment and the more satisfaction you will know in your life. But for that to happen, our self-consciousness needs to be drowned out 
with increasing God consciousness. What do we know about Michal? Well, at first, if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 18, we read that she was in love with David. And David, having killed Goliath a giant, was entitled to one of Saul's daughters. And when Saul learned that his daughter Michal was in love with David, he gave her to him. And he says, now she will become a snare to him. We don't know exactly why he says that. Maybe it has something to do with her personality. We do know that she worshipped idols. Because later, when Saul tries to kill David and sends men to David's bedroom, Michal takes an idol and puts it under the covers to hide David's absence, and she helps David escape through a window. So we know that she was an idol worshiper. She had a problem with her relationship with God. And we also know that later she was given to someone else while David was on the run. But then David, when he comes on the throne, asked to have her back. So no doubt all of that is contributing to her despising of David. But the root of the problem is that she is so self-conscious because she is so self-absorbed by looking at other people. She is looking at David and fixating on how he is worshiping God. David is doing this before the Lord. But in doing this, she is just like her father Saul. And this is why almost every time she's mentioned in these verses, she's described as the daughter of Saul. You see it in verse 16, and you see it in verse 20, and you see it again in verse 23. She is the daughter of Saul, and she does exactly what her father did, which is to focus on what other people are doing, to the neglect of what God would want you to be doing. And you need to know that one of the greatest hindrances to your joy and to worshiping God truly, in spirit and in truth, is your self-consciousness. Because remember, our nature, our desires are curved in on themselves. And it is only by the work of the Holy Spirit that we can have them bent toward God to find rest and to find joy and to find contentment in Him. And if you want to see what this looks like, you can just look at the typical churchgoer. You come in to a sanctuary and many of us start thinking, oh, what's the temperature like in this room? Oh, who's that sitting over there? They don't normally sit there. Oh, I like the pastor's tie today. Oh, yes, that's a nice tie. Oh, when can we sing that song again? Or, I didn't really like that song that we sang. I really don't like it when they use those instruments. And we fixate on all the, the external circumstances of, of worship. Instead of knowing, worship first and foremost, is between you and God. Get out of your own head. Let the Holy Spirit work there. Don't focus on her or on him or on the preacher. Focus on what God is saying to you through his word. And that's where real worship happens. 
when God drowns out our self-consciousness with more awareness of himself and who he is and his goodness and his greatness. So what is louder in your life right now? What do you hear more in the music of your life? Is it more about you, more about what other people are doing, or more about God? But next, when we move to verse 17, we come to, for me, what is the hardest part of dancing. I'm a terrible dancer, by the way. And Holly graciously overlooked that when she married me. But the reason I have such a hard time is I can't find the rhythm. And to dance in the grace of God, you need to know the rhythm of worship. The rhythm of worship. And God can train you and teach you and tutor you in the rhythm of worship. And we see that illustrated beginning at verse 17. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. So let's notice what David is doing in these verses. Because these are the essential elements of worship. And for us to live into the rhythm of worship and the lifestyle of worship, we need to know these. First, he brings the ark of the Lord, symbolizing the presence of God, and he sets it in its place inside the tent that he pitched for it. So this is prior to when Israel has a temple. They're still worshiping out of a tent. And what we need to see here is the centrality of God's presence in worship. We cannot worship unless God and the presence of God and the glory of God is placed front and center. Or else we're not really worshiping him. We're worshiping ourselves and we're worshiping our preferences. Right? We need to place God front and center. We come to worship, whether we're talking about corporate worship or individual worship or family worship, whether you're worshiping in a sanctuary or in your living room, wherever, God must be front and center and his presence must be prioritized. Next, so having set the ark of the Lord in its place, David then sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. What are these? A burnt offering was a sacrifice that God taught his people to offer to satisfy his just and holy anger against their sin. This is a sacrifice that is placed between a worshiper and a holy God to show that that sin has to be dealt with. And every sacrifice in the Old Testament is pointing forward to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross who shed his own blood for sinners to make it possible for us to be in fellowship and communion with God. But these burnt sacrifices, these animal sacrifices symbolize that. He also offers fellowship offerings before the Lord. These typically were grains, and it symbolized peace with God. 
peace with God that we can have because God's just and holy wrath against sin has been satisfied. We can enjoy God. And we're not afraid to enjoy God. A critical element of worship. Then in verse 18, after he'd finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. He blessed the people. In other words, he prayed. He is praying for the people. He blessed them. He is a king who cares enough about his people to intercede for them. And while we don't have David with us now, we don't have a king with us now, we do have one who surpasses David in every way, and that is the Lord Jesus, who is at the right hand of God the Father and who is interceding for us right now. When we pray to him right now, he knows the will of God. And he takes our feeble, frail efforts to pray according to the will of God. And he represents us to God and God to us. And he works in and among his people through the person of the Holy Spirit. So we have something far better and someone far better. But prayer is a key element. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person. And they go home. He is supplying what they need. He's giving them food. And in worship, and to know joy in the Lord, and to have God stoke our desire for joy. We need to see the good gifts that God gives to us. He supplies our needs, and we are to be grateful. This is the rhythm of worship. And it is only when we walk and we live and we dance and step with the rhythm of worship that we can experience real joy. But so many Christians never get into this rhythm. And so many churchgoers never get into this rhythm. And they fall into the trap of wet blanket religion. And they take a wet blanket view of God. And they think that there are things that are more important and worship. And they place the accent mark in the wrong place instead of these core elements of worship. The priority of the presence of God, the sacrifice that makes it possible, the peace that we enjoy in, in the presence of God. Prayer. Prayer. And enjoying the provision of God for his people. And so many Christians get into the Christian life. They start coming to church. And then it gets old. And their heart grows cold. And they give up because they've never gotten into the rhythm. And even those who have been in church for years and years, we can all face this trap where church and worship feels like a wet blanket. And so we need to find the rhythm. We need to hear the melody of mercy. And we need to allow our consciousness of God to drown out our self-consciousness. Not worry about what anybody else thinks. Focus on God. And get into the rhythm of worship. Well, when David goes home to bless his household, to bring this goodness into his house as equipped by God, we pick up our reading in verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. 
going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. As David comes to his house, notice how Michal takes the initiative in verse 20. She came out to meet him. Her disdain and her resentment is just boiling over. And her words are dripping with sarcasm. Oh, how you've done it now, David. You have sure distinguished yourself. Going around half naked. Exaggerating, of course. In full view of the slave girls. What kind of king are you? That's the tone of her remark. Notice David's response in verse 21. He says, it was before the Lord. And if you look at this chapter, you'll see how this phrase is repeated over and over and over again. You see it in verse 14. He was dancing before the Lord. You see it again in verse 16. Dancing before the Lord. You see it in verse 17. Fellowship offerings before the Lord. You see it again in verse 21. Before the Lord. And again in verse 21. I will celebrate before the Lord. What is he saying? He's saying, first, Michal, everything I've done today, it was for God. I want to please him. I want to glorify him. First and foremost, no matter what you think, no matter what you say, no matter what anyone else thinks or says, I did this before the Lord. That's first. Also, he says that everything I have my crown, my throne, these people, is a gift from God. I can't take any credit for it. It's a gift of God. And so the next thing we need to know if we are to dance in God's grace is, is that we need to know God can free you to dance in his grace. He frees you from what Michal is so hindered by, her pride. Her pride. The greatest obstacle between you and God is your pride. Because with pride comes self consciousness. With pride comes making comparisons. With pride comes wanting to please people. With pride comes wanting to satisfy your base desires. By trying to satisfy your craving for joy and for contentment and for satisfaction with everything but God. 
the only one who can give you real and lasting joy. And to be freed from that pride, you need to be humble enough to confess, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? Your life, the breath in your lungs right now is the grace of God, his common grace, his general grace to people. The fact that you're able to watch this message is grace from God. All your possessions, all of your accomplishments, everything you have is a gift from him. And David is humble enough to acknowledge this. He chose me. I didn't choose him. I wasn't looking for a crown or a throne. He chose me. And why did God choose him? Because God rejected Saul. Because Saul rejected God. He set me as ruler over the Lord's people. Notice he doesn't even call himself the king. He says, I'm the ruler, the prince. His humility. And notice it's the Lord's people. Not my people, not your people. The Lord's people. God has entrusted me with this. I did all this before the Lord. And I tell you what, Michal, I'll become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by those slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. The ones whom the world considers foolish, the ones the world looks down on and despises, they will see the truth. God is pleased to reveal himself through the foolish things of this world. And his people may look foolish sometimes. But you know what? If you hear the melody of God's mercy, and if you crank up the volume of your God consciousness, and if you are living in step with the rhythm of worship, and if you have been freed to dance in the grace of God, you don't care. And notice God's punishment upon her. Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Now, we don't have license to universalize this and attribute infertility to the judgment of God. That's not the point. The point is that God is sovereign over life and death, and God chose in this particular case to punish her in this way. And it's part of God's larger plan to wither what remains of the house of Saul and to exalt his chosen king. To rightly interpret this and understand this, we need to understand that God is a God of order. God is glorified by good order. But... God wants his people to be expressive. He gave you feelings. We are feeling creatures. While, yes, our feelings can deceive us, and while, yes, we can't trust our feelings, when the grace of God has been at work in your heart and your life, you're going to show that, and people are going to know. 
But the saddest thing to me is, is so many Christians are joyless, wet blankets. And so many people are joyless, wet blankets. Because they aren't dancing in the grace of God. And you may be like me where your feet don't really dance, but your heart can. Your heart can. My heart dances and loves to dance in the grace of God. But you will not dance in the grace of God until you acknowledge the judgment you deserve from a holy God. You will not recognize your need for grace until you understand the judgment of God upon your sin. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. We deserve for God to punish us. To give us eternal death and eternal separation from Him in hell. But this God is a God who not only convicts us of that sin, regenerates us, allows us to be born again, and He turns our wailing into dancing. But if there's no wailing for your sin, there won't be any dancing in His grace. Do you really believe that you are a sinner fully deserving of God's judgment for all the things you've said you shouldn't have said, all the things you've done you shouldn't have done, ultimately against a holy God? Do you really believe that? If you do, then you're ready to hear the good news that God's grace is available to you. But to receive it, we need to understand something that's happening in a scene described in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, at verse 39. In the account of Jesus' crucifixion, we're told that there were two criminals crucified on either side of him. One of those criminals looked over at Jesus and said, what kind of Messiah are you? If you're really the Messiah, then you would save us and save yourself. Come on! That's what we need. And then there's the other criminal on the other side who says, don't you fear God? Don't you understand that what we are receiving right now is what we deserve, but he did nothing wrong? And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responds to him from the cross, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. To receive the grace of God, this God who stokes our desire for joy, who satisfies our longing for joy, you and I must be willing 
to humble ourselves before a crucified Savior. To say, we deserve to be crucified. We deserve the judgment of God. Not Him. And yet God is so kind and so gracious and so merciful that He gave His Son to be crucified in my place. And so I'm not ashamed to go to this king. I'm not ashamed. I'm not afraid. I'm not so dignified that I cannot acknowledge him as my Lord and Savior because I need what only he can do for me. Is that your prayer today? If it is, be encouraged by the best news that anyone could ever share with you. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. And if you are such a sinner, then you'll become even more undignified than this. And if that leads you to dance for the grace of God in your t-shirt, so be it. We are dancing to the beat of the gospel and the melody of his mercy, and we are so thankful. May that song never, ever stop in your heart and in your life as we go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we praise you and we thank you for this scene, for the example of David, and I pray, Lord, that you would work through our reading and our study of this story so that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would be awakened to see how we can be so self-conscious. We can be so obsessive over what we want or what other people are thinking of us. And we confess that we try to satisfy the desire that you've implanted in us for joy, for happiness, for contentment with all the wrong things. And so I pray, Lord, today, as your Holy Spirit works in our hearts and as you speak to us through your word, I pray that we would not be ashamed, that we would not be afraid to dance in your grace, starting from our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified as we find joy and contentment in you. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you so much for joining us in this service. We pray that it's been a blessing to you and your family. If you'd like to talk to me about what it means to confess Jesus as Lord, if you have any ministry needs, if you have any questions about any of this, please reach out by email. Have a wonderful week.